Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today we're going to talk about shadow IT, about its history, and how it's evolved over time into something much more complex than what it started out as. And to help us do that, we have today with us David Seaman, a product manager with Infoblocks. Hey, David, thank you for being with us today. Happy to be here with you, Bob. Now, we're talking about this because David's actually been doing some things with uh, some of the products that he's working with uh, in this area. But I want to start with just giving people some background. I mean, because Shadow IT is not new. It's been around for, for a very long time. Matter of fact, before the term was even coined, I was hired as a PC developer for an insurance company. And, but I was hired by the marketing team because at that time, real computers were mainframes and, and made mini. <laughs> And the IT team didn't want anything to do with this PC thing. Um, so I was working in a group prof- officially doing shadow IT, but it was um, it was semi-sanctioned because the IT team said, well, it's okay as long as you're not connecting to my stuff. Now, about 10, 15 years later, or 10, 15 years ago, depending on how you want to do it, because I've been in the industry for 30 years, um, shadow IT became a label, but it became a label for just absolutely bad. It was a bad word. You don't want shadow IT. You don't want any of that stuff on your network. And it was all about blocking. But that's changed a lot. Um, so how, how have you seen that change over, let's say, the last decade? Well, I, I, I certainly remember those olden days, right? Uh, the IT team was where you got everything, right? It, your servers, your workstations, your any services, your software, uh, pretty much you had to do requests and it would all come through the IT team. I guess that dates me as well, right? Um, so that was that was probably a little more in control for the IT teams, right? They, the customers had to ask someone for something and and they were the only ones who could get it. And uh, I think um, I think Shadow IT was really trying to track down those users who uh, would you know grab a hold of physical media for installing some piece of software maybe that was only licensed to them and then they'd go run it off to their other coworkers and say I got this cool piece of software let's go install it on your machine too and they go running around and, and uh, install something and who knows what the licensing uh, impacts were for that I, I'm sure that happened quite a few times where we'd see customers and even today where they talk about suddenly some piece of software gets out and and spread across the company and then there's a software audit but yeah I remember those days and and how it used to be. Um, but yeah, now, you know, I would see, I would see like that change. I don't know if you saw it as well, but like the, the, the whole, the consumerization, right? People think, well, I've got an iPhone. I should just load iTunes on my local machine and iCloud and all the other things that went along with that. Right. And oh, that's not a big deal. It's not a security issue. It's, it's just, it's just iTunes. So I can sync my phone, right. My contacts. Um, so I've definitely seen that. And then all the executives got their iPads and all of a sudden we see them doing, putting corporate presentations and, and, uh, roadmaps on their road, on their, uh, home devices and such. And where's that data and who's controlling that? That's probably where I saw the explosion of, uh, shadow IT and kind of, how do we do that? Yeah, Bob. And, and it's interesting you're, you're mentioning Apple devices. Cause just, that was the other big thing is you were not allowed to have Apple devices on the network. Because even uh. though I was doing PC development and it was all IBM stuff, um, and, you know, IBM PC based, but, you know, there were those people who were saying, yeah, but, you know, I have my CPM computer. I have uh, uh, an Apple computer <laughs> and that's what I, I want to do my stuff on because we had a lot of, this was in the insurance agents uh, uh, industry and they had agents who, they had yeah. some of their own equipment. 
And so uh, they wanted it on there. And it's like, no, 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 you know, we were going to limit it. So it was like the IT department over the mainframe, they were being restrictive. But even us in the PC, the semi-shadow PC arena, we were also trying to be restrictive and say, no, we only support this platform, this operating system. You know, we would force you to upgrade to the latest version of DOS because they didn't even have Windows (laughs) back then. Um, Yeah, I'm an old man. So, but... uh, you know, get off my lawn. A simpler kid. time. It worked great. <laughs> yeah. But Did now, we have as many you know, support tickets so, back then? Probably not. Maybe it was a good thing. Anyway, but oh, yeah. yes. So yeah. we're getting to the point where we have so many different kinds of devices. And then, as you said, and then with all those devices come additional software packages. Um, yeah. And that's evolving over time where it was just, you know, certain software to sync my contacts with my device. But then now it's cloud-based. I mean, that cloud whole, the whole cloud thing has changed it even worse because now it's not just a matter of I have it on your personal device, but working with your personal device, I'm now transmitting confidential intellectual property sensitive data through the cloud through a service that I didn't sign up for as your IT provider. Uh, I didn't <laughs> sign up for it. This was not sanctioned. I have no idea where that uh, data center is that, you know, this application X you chose to use, uh, where are they taking my data? Um, but that's Does it follow your security policies. And yeah, do you, do you don't yeah. know that all of a sudden because this isn't under IT control. I think that's a great point. I mean, shadow IT, we kind of think about it as, you know, an app or two that might get installed, but um, really it's, it's anything that you, that, that a user ties to the infrastructure or even that, you know, the data itself. Really, you're, wherever the data is, it's part of your infrastructure now, right? You know, having to try to figure out where that's going to be. So, um, yeah, I, I think we probably could see a few different examples of where sometimes the data or the applications get a little out of control and IT doesn't necessarily see it. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, to, to that extent also, I mean, you know, most of the security, I've, I've got a long background in, like you, you know, doing this for a long time, built a lot of networks, built a lot of security. Um, and, and most of the security and compliance mandates, I'm not sure if you realize the start of all of them from, from NIST to everyone else is maintain an accurate inventory of your devices and applications, right? Because you have to have an idea of what's going on in that environment. So with shadow IT, uh oh, right. Someone put something new. No one tells you, you can't have change control. You can't have a good security mandate followed and prove that you're doing your due diligence of saying, yeah, I know everything that's on the network, including that new TV in the executive boardroom, right? You know, you don't necessarily know about all that because you don't necessarily have it if shadow IT gets installed from the marketing team, as your good example was. Not that marketing teams ever bring in things they shouldn't, right? No, never, never. But I was going to say the other thing, though, so we, we, you know, it's pretty clear BYOD and all that has really changed this and the need for the companies to adopt and and allow that kind of access. And that that allow part is what I want to talk about next is because the response to shadow IT for years has been simply block it. They don't care if it frustrates users or departments, um, but they've started to realize that the impact, and I was reading articles in Forbes and stuff, uh, you know, preparing for this podcast. I was doing a lot of research. This year alone, there's been a lot of articles in major business magazines talking about the impact of shadow IT and those companies that are still doing the draconian blocking, 
Those mm. businesses, they're not agile. They're not able to respond to changes in the market. Um, all of a sudden there's a new tool that makes, you know, their sales force or some other part of, you know, their delivery services more flexible, more able to get things done. If they block that, they've lost competitive advantage. And so there's a business impact to blocking it. And that's the other big change. Not only have we had an explosion of the devices that you would think would make shadow IT a bigger risk, but the other issue is that you can't do the draconian security that they used to do. They have to be more flexible because everything's agile today, right? Absolutely. We all have to be agile. We all have heard that used quite a few times, but also, yeah, when's the last time you heard about a company that said, we don't have an internet policy? Like we don't, we don't have a, we don't allow internet because it's insecure. Yeah, it's insecure. <laughs> you still can't cut it off. <laughs> it's not just the marketing team that will scream. It's, it's literally everyone. Everyone has a few apps or services and trying to go with the, well, we're just going to turn on the, the 10 applications that we have approved. Gets a little difficult when you start seeing just the scale of that. So I totally agree with you, Bob. I, I bet some of the folks that listen to this can probably imagine just trying what it would be like to try to, uh, to cut off the internet for anything other than what they knew about, right? Just what, what do you know about? We'll just turn that on. Well, that might be a little bit difficult. Uh, yeah. yeah, I do recall a, a company, um, an internet access provider back in the 90s whose response to email threats was whenever they heard about a new threat being spread through email, they would shut down the corporate email. That was their official response. They turned off email and then mm. using a separate mechanism, they were communicating with those uh, their their AV vendor and said, when you have an update and a patch that we can put on our email security, we'll install mm -hmm. it. Then we turn back on email. And uh, I remember having a discussion with them and scratching my head. I said, okay, so you're telling me that every time you've even heard of a new malware threat going out through email, your entire company has lost email access until you got it solved. Even though you may not have been under attack or anything like that, they, it, it's, it was over you know, an over uh, response. And that's what they've discovered with the shadow IT. So the big thing, and this is why we specifically had you, because you've just released a feature and this is not necessarily a product show, as you well know, but um, the reason we've invited you here is that you are the product manager over a solution that has added some application visibility and discovery capabilities because the shadow IT response today is not block, 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 but just be aware and then you can more selectively decide what to block, when to alert, that kind of thing. So it is all about monitoring now, right? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. And, and uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Um, we, we are doing a lot with what we call uh, application discovery. So our customers kept coming to us and saying, hey, you guys see all the DNS queries you can, you can see patterns in this, can't you? Oh, absolutely. Our data scientists see the coolest things ever. Um, and we wanted to start sharing that and say, well, we can tell that this traffic, it's, it's 30 different endpoints around the internet. It's all just one little application. I mean, it's really hard to track all those, but we have those patterns because of big data and all the data scientist fun stuff. So we want to see if we could make it easier for our customers to start seeing these applications as we do, right? Um, and in that, to some extent, to see the devices as well. It's pretty interesting to actually see what that data does for us. So, um, you know, we took a look at it and said, well, what's the most important thing? What are, what are our customers asking for, right? They're, they're really worried about the shadow IT, but the shadow IT with risks. 
right? You know, they, they, do they really care about some of these little tools that people install? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of tools that people install on their end machines. They don't necessarily want to cut all those off, but they were really worried about those things that have like, um, like data loss risk, right? Or things that can be used to um, hide traffic from the security teams, like VPNs, that sort of thing. That was definitely an area they highlighted. So that's kind of where we specialized and started with the focus of let's not try to ID everything. But what can we do to really help a security team figure out what's going on in their environment, what apps are running, and where they really need to watch carefully, you know, as, as far as what's allowed, what's not allowed, and what's really risky. So you're talking about things like, um, you know, people using things like Dropbox and stuff like that, where they can store large files and maybe share them beyond where they're supposed to be shared. Um, now, a lot of companies will pick like an official, you know, I, I know that. I've worked for companies where they pick, this is the service we use, you know, where you're allowed to store things. We're going to allow you to share it, share files and so forth, but it's all done using this repository, this cloud tool. But then I would work with a partner. And again, this, I'm, this memory is a nightmare coming back from uh, draconian days <laughs> and the partner, they had their preferred tool yeah. And my IT team refused to allow me to share the data using their tool and their IT team refused to allow them to access it in our repository. I ended up having to put this thing on a USB drive and mail it to them because I could not store it in the cloud because our two com uh, competing IT departments wouldn't allow a, either company to share. And so again, this is where the blocking doesn't work, but being able to monitor and noticed yeah. that, hey, uh, Bob Hansman had actually uploaded a file to a service we don't normally support. But being able to see that activity and then maybe, you know, maybe it was just a one time off and they aren't worried about it, but they see me start uploading a lot of files. Eh, maybe there's an insider issue here, but it gives <laughs> them the, the tools they need to then do some other kind of response like call me and ask me what I'm doing, you know, that kind of thing and find out, yeah, exactly. there is a legitimate business reason. Remember this contract we just signed to buy another company. This is the way we get the data to them. Oh, that's right. We forgot about that memo that came by two months ago. Things like that happen. There's a lot of legitimate reasons. So I like your approach and, and you mentioned high risk. You know, so what, what are you considering high risk applications besides just like these file and backup uh, cloud services. Yeah. Um, so, so where we've seen the most issues and, you know, a lot of times people come to Infoblox uh, because they're worried about data loss anyway, right? Because our, our expertise in DNS exfiltration of data. So it was kind of a natural aspect to talk to the same folks of saying, Hey, you want to know when someone or something is using DNS to tunnel? Well, a lot of times it things, even malware will use um, normal legitimate applications. It's not necessarily just malware. Malware can use Google Drive, right? And actually copy a file out there. Well, what if you're on Microsoft OneDrive as your standard, like your example, and you see traffic going to Google Drive? Is, is that a threat? Well, if your IT team doesn't manage it, if you don't have your data loss prevention and such all set up to know that that would be safe to put that data out there, yeah, yeah. So for us, applications that we consider higher risk, um, we highlight things that we we found again around that area. So um, cloud backup and storage vendors. This is very very common. They'll name one or two. We'll say, "What's your standard?" Well, it's 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 Microsoft OneDrive. Awesome. Okay. Well, we see ten others <laughs> within your environment. Some of them that are 100% consumer products. 
there's no way it's the one that you guys are t- we're positive that you're not storing things on uh, uh, any, a, a number I won't name any or shame anyone, but there's some <laughs> that are definitely consumer based ones that have some very let's say sketchy uh, security policies as far as who gets to read that data. So we know that helping IT teams figure that out and say, well, we know for sure you're not storing on these consumer ones, but even out of these corporate ones, do you really know that your data is being stored in that? So that's a big one. Uh, Surprisingly, email, right? Do you allow, what's your email standard? Well, what if you see people sending files and, and sensitive data on other email platforms, right? So that tends to be something that our our customers said, that's exactly what we want to know. Um, we watch for things like VPNs. Again, in that whole consumer corporate world, there's a lot of reasons why people don't want to have VPNs because it, it's all those wonderful firewalls and everything else that they have are blind to all the traffic if someone opens a VPN and tunnels out to the world, right? Um, so that can be something where you know, VPNs, um, remote control desktops, things like that. So we have a couple areas where we highlight certain applications and say, these are probably the ones that you really, really want to be aware of as far as having the highest risk. Um, and that's what we've we found to have been really useful for customers. Now, you mentioned uh, the consumer. You mentioned a consumer example here, and I wanted to, to go back that real briefly because, again, this isn't like something totally new for, for you at Infoblox. This is because Infoblox has had device discovery for years. And, um, you know, I remember uh, a company contacting me when I worked at another vendor, we were selling something completely different uh, for security, but they said, Hey, can you tell me, um, can you help us figure out what somebody is doing on the internet, what a user is doing? Um, We had kind of a web filtering capability, but um, it was for big public services. But what they discovered was they said, no, 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 you don't understand. Our problem is not a security risk. It's a bandwidth issue. We have so much traffic going through our gateway where a month ago we had 40% to spare. And now we are running out of bandwidth in the middle of the day and we don't know why. We need to know what what are people doing on the internet. And our reports, because we had a web filtering capability, would say, well, you're doing so much uh, in business, so much in uh, education, so much in search engines, so much porn. There was a certain allowable amount of porn, believe it or not, that they didn't worry about <laughs> as long as it stayed below a certain percentage. <laughs> and so, but that hadn't gone up. They just could not understand what was going on. And um, they did bring in, matter of fact, now that I'm thinking of it, I believe it was Infoblox that you guys had a tool that would do the scanning and they found a bunch of devices on their network that were home grade um, nanny cams that somebody at the company, they had their kids at a, at a daycare, the daycare center said, hey, we have a new service where you can now uh, take this device, we'll sell it to you because it was another revenue stream for the, for the nursery for the daycare center. <laughs> we'll sell you this device. You can then hook it up at your office and then you can see the, the area your kids are in all day. And so this person took the office, other people saw it. Next thing you know, other people are getting it. Yeah, 20, 30, 50 people all streaming a live feed from different daycares all over the city. And that's where their bandwidth was going. But they didn't know what was happening to it until they got that device visibility because it really wasn't as much of an application. It was just a, a, a tunnel on a specific app level. And, but now it is because, again, that was 
that was actually pre-iPhone. Um, and today mm. there are so many apps. I mean, I remember companies used to have a formal list. I remember seeing a spreadsheet. There were 23 official apps at this yes. insurance company that I worked. That was it. Um, they had a poster on the wall that said Max not allowed, you know, things like that. It was very draconian in those days. And today, I think I myself probably used 23 different apps this morning in my first hour bouncing around different things. I have, you mentioned VPNs. I have six different VPNs that I use for different services that I connect to. And they aren't all like official VPNs that I have to use. Some of them are, I just load the app. The app actually has a VPN built into it. And honestly, I got to say, I played around with your feature and I didn't know who the maker was of the VPN until I used your new tool to find out that I'm using what VPN? Wow, that's kind of <laughs> cool. It gave me visibility into uh, something that they had OEM'd and put it into their product. And that's what they were using to provide me with a secure channel. Um, so even when I didn't know for sure that I was using a VPN, I was using one and getting that application visibility is just as important as the device visibility because the bottom line is, how do I secure my network if I don't know what is on it? Either what physical devices exactly. are on it or what people are doing with those devices on it. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, um, what other use cases have you seen for where this really comes into play? Well, we, we definitely have seen some just like that, though, you know, when it comes to finding devices and such. You're right. That, that has been, although we set out to do application discovery, we definitely have had some customers find some very interesting things on their networks, including uh, one customer who found this, that uh, a consumer router was put on their network, on their enterprise network. And we found it because it opened up by default. You know, by default, it's it's made to hide your traffic from your ISP. <laughs> well, in this case, your ISP is your enterprise network. So they found it because we discovered that VPN tunnel opening from this consumer router that someone had thought, this is a cool thing I'll bring to work. Um, and what it did was it automatically opened a tunnel and tunnel all their traffic through there. So we started to find that people are already finding really cool insights as to devices on their network not just the applications. We started out with the aspect of application, but we're doing a lot more to discover things around operating systems and devices that could be a security risk. So it has been, and it's an area we're looking more into in, in expanding the fact that we've been doing device discovery for years and years, to your point, right? And making that even better based more on the live data and helping the security operators when they say, I don't know what this thing is, it's on my network and it's doing something really strange you know, help me out figuring out what that is. So expect to see some more things hinted, you know, in the future of uh, some fun areas. But yeah, this is important. When we, uh, when we were talking about doing this podcast and some of the things, there was a great example that, um, that you came up with. Because I know with the device discovery, one of the things that Infoblox is known for is that not only can they discover the device, but they can let you know that, hey, uh, these devices, the firmware is out of date and things like that. So they were really great at helping expose vulnerabilities. That's what the networking people liked about it. With your application discovery, it doesn't necessarily like automatically say, hey, this application and this version is, is vulnerable. But there was the use case that um, we talked about where maybe I have only approved a specific application. That's my company's official app, but we realize there's times when you need to use other apps. Then all of a sudden I read an article 
that, or I get a news feed or I get an alert that says, hey, beware, company X, their VPN, their cloud storage has been hacked, their password managed, whatever it is, this cloud app has a vulnerability and it's being actively exploited. Well, first of all, I might just brush my head and go, oh, thank heavens we don't use that one, but hold it. <laughs> Maybe we do have people using it. So by having that application visibility, I can now go in and look to see, do I have anybody actually using that? And if so, then I have to plan my response, right? So that was a, a one of those hidden little gems. There's so many ways I'm waiting to talk to you maybe in another year after this has been out to find all the ways people have found the value in this that are not its straightforward options and straightforward value props. Yeah, that 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 it, that was a fun little mention that I had with you earlier about that. That with some of our customers have said, you know, they they had no idea that an app was used in their environment, and to find out, by the way, it happens to be in the news <laughs> because of a major vulnerability. Um, wasn't the original target? Fantastic that that use case is found. So you know, doing what we can to make it easier. Security is not not easy. To do what we can, make it easier for the users to actually see this. And see, hey, you know, do we have that app in the environment? Yeah, Bob, that's that is that is a huge value to them to be able to just quickly take a look, browse right through, and see, oh yeah, we see the ones that are approved or non-approved, but do we see that app that we were talking about? You know, search by vendor, search by name, whatever they want to, and actually take a look. So, um, yeah, it, it's definitely uh, it's a fun area to be in, and we're glad we're able to uh, empower our customers with this data. Um, and uh, I can't wait to have that secondary follow-up meeting with you after it's been out a year or two. We're getting all kinds of good feedback from our customers, but definitely it would be more stories to tell about the cool things we've been finding in the environments. Well, and the other thing I want to make sure that our, our listeners are, are aware of is that we are talking about doing this at the DNS layer. So um, that means that, uh, you know, when the the app is being used, on my PC, I mean, it doesn't matter whether I have an EVR product on my PC because maybe I don't have it on my phone or my tablet. Any device that is trying to communicate with that app and, and use that application, I can now correlate it because you're gathering it all at the lowest level, DNS. Um, you're able to tie it to devices and users. So I can actually see this user. Uh, he's used this app a lot on his, on his phone He's only accessed it once on his laptop, um, but this is a weird use of that app. This is a file cloud storage solution. Why would he be sending so many files from his phone versus his PC, which is the way we would normally share things with a legitimate vendor? <laughs> There's so many odd things. Um, again, these are some of the odd scenarios that I just sit here and start coming up with in my head that, you know, those are anomalies. And that's where we go back to the very beginning of the podcast. It is no longer shadow IT, block it, it's bad. It's more get the visibility so you can start identifying the, I think the technical term is anomalous. I like to say weird communications that are going on, the non-standard, the unofficial. Um, and like you said, you know, just the stuff that's a surprise. Um, the last story that I, I wanted to highlight, I know we're running out of time here, 
but would you mind sharing the story about the company that helped you? Because uh, you had this in test for over a year. This product has been in development for a long time. You you took the time to get it right. I remember talking a year ago. We were hoping to release it and announce it, and you said no. There's there's some accuracy and and other issues we really want to get refined here. But you had one of your test organizations when they looked at the VPN report. They found that they had employees using dozens, over a dozen different VPNs, and one of them was routing traffic through a sanctioned country or something like that, wasn't it? <laughs> that that's that is true. That is true. It's um it's been about as much fun for me to look through and have conversations with customers as it as well, maybe not fun for them. But yes, it has been a lot of fun to find it. We did find a a multinational company. Um, and I'm not naming any names at all, but yeah. and I appreciate all the ones that behave, that per, participated in our early access programs. That was really helpful to get feedback from it, where everyone said, is this correct? Is this accurate? By gosh, it looks like it is. It's going through a very interesting point in a, um, a sanctioned country or two, and multiple pieces of data going to, we, we try to map things out to different countries. And, and yeah, it was... Um, Pretty quickly, a CISO level person was on a call with us saying, we need to know more about this. It was very interesting to them. And, and the security team that we normally work with was super happy to have what they're working on raised to the level of their executive staff all of a sudden and for them to see that and, and to show their value. So for me, it was, I was very happy. I was really happy to see the team see the recognition for what they found as well. And I was happy to say it was using our tools. So <laughs> yeah, excellent story. Thank you, Bob. Not a problem. Well, and as usual, um, we have run out of time and uh, I'm glad we were able to get that last story because that was the one that really got me excited. That one case study was really exciting for me, but thank you for being with us, David. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Bob. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for your time as well. Please join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risk on Threat Talk.